All right, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and uh, we're going to begin reading at verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord, and in his own house he prosperously effected. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you'll bless the preaching. We pray, Father, for your leadership as we go through this this morning, but as we go through the entire week. We ask you, God, for there to be a revival here at Central Baptist Church. We pray, Lord, there would be a revival in our country. But as Pastor mentioned, it has to start in our churches. And we pray there will be a revival here. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. <clears throat> when we talk about the subject of revival, there are different ideas that people have. Some people think it's when hundreds of people get saved. And others say, well, revival is not for the unsaved, it's for the saved. That's why it's revival. You've got to have revival before you can get revived. And that's true, too. So revival is really more for God's people. But then it's also true that when you have a revival, ten tendency of the outcome of that is there will be lots of people saved. Of course, I'm not saying anything new to you about that. We both are most are all aware of that. Now, the word revive, though we talk about it all the time, is really only in the Bible 16 times in one form or fashion. And the surprising thing, this might shock you, is that when the word revive or revival is used, it does not refer to a spiritual revival. For instance, Samson was exhausted from fighting the Philistines and he had God showed up, God showed up and God gave him some water in the jawbone of a donkey. Now it says that he took a drink out of the jawbone of the donkey and it says and he revived now what it technically means is that Samson just got refreshed when he got a drink of water he was physically exhausted sort of like if you get Dunkin Donuts you get refreshed I think Dunkin Donuts can be revival don't you now then in Genesis 45 verse 27 it says Jacob was discouraged but then he found out that his son was still alive and it says and he revived now, did Jacob get right with God? No, it just simply means by the word revived, he got encouraged finding out that his son was alive who he thought was dead. Now, if there was somebody that you loved, you thought was dead, and you found out they were alive, wouldn't that be exciting to you? Now, then in the Bible, it says that Isaiah was freed from their captivity. That is referred to as reviving as a nation. In Nehemiah 4, the rebuilding of the stone walls. Will these stones revive? And that is referring to the nation of Israel becoming strong again. Even our favorite passage, Psalms 85, 6, will thou not revive us again? That is referring to will you strengthen this nation, the nation of Israel? Now, some people think that nations are strong or nations are weak, depending on how smart the leadership is and how powerful the government is then the nation will be strong and the nation will be weak. 
depending on the resolve of the people in that nation. If they're people with a, with a resolve to become a great nation. But the Bible says that nations are raised and nations fall by the power of God. And so the Bible teaches that God can revive a nation and bring it up to power and strength, or God can take that nation down, including the USA. Now, God is the one who builds up and takes down nations. And the word revive in Psalms 85, 6 is talking about build up and strengthen the nation of Israel. It's not talking about a spiritual awakening. Even Romans 14, 9 says that Christ both died and arose and revived. Now, does that mean when the word revive is used that Jesus Christ got right with the Father? No, he was already sinless. It simply means that he was raised back to life again. Now, it is true that technically the word revive in the Bible is tied to something physical. But yet it is also true that there never is a restoration to a nation physically without there first being a revival of the nation spiritually. And the Bible talks a lot about there being a spiritual awakening among people which results in the blessing of God on those people. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It's not just talk, it's reality. Righteousness does matter. Righteousness does make a difference whether the people's condition are good, is good or the condition is bad. Now, just because a nation does walk with God or people in that nation walk with God doesn't always mean that everything's going to be great. Like the Church of China is a nation that is filled with a lot of people that walk with God. Some of those Chinese Christians in the churches are being persecuted and are some of the best Christians that you would ever meet. But yet their nation as a whole is not doing well. But it is true on the other hand that when a nation gets away from God, often then God sends judgment, God takes blessing, and the condition of those people worsens, and that is what is happening in the United States of America. Now, one of the best passages on the subject of revival is that 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, if they'll do this, seek my face, turn from the wicked way, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now, there is a spiritual awakening if they humble themselves instead of be proud. Pray, seek God's face instead of skipping times to seek God's face. If they will turn from the wicked way instead of saying, okay, I know what I'm doing, it's not really all that good, it's probably not okay, but it's not that big of a thing. If they will turn from the wicked way, then God says he'll hear from heaven, forgive and heal their land. And so you can see the land is brought up, meaning that the spiritual awakening and the blessing of God on the land are tied together. Now, when we see in the Bible, righteousness exalts a nation, sin is a reproach to any people, it's true. Often the spiritual condition of a nation affects the physical condition of the nation, and it does matter. 
It does matter. It does matter if young people get right with God or don't. It does matter if young people begin to go to the church when the doors are open and opportunities to seek God and seek his face. And if they don't, it does matter if people will pray or if they won't because it is tied to the physical condition of those people. Now, I'm going to speak to us about revival today as we go into the revival meeting, and I just want to talk about what is revival. And then we'll go from there and ask God to lead us as we go through the week. God can lead. Amen? Amen. And that's what we're looking for today and through the week. Now, the first thing as we talk about revival, I want to talk about the presentation of revival. Now, what really is a revival? Is it when a lot of people get saved? That'll happen, but that's not a revival. Is it when the attendance of the church gets bigger? That will happen, but that is not what revival is. So what technically is a revival? I think it's tied up in this little phrase. What gets revived or brought to life again is our relationship with God gets fixed. Our relationship with God gets fixed. Now, how's your relationship with God right now? How's our relationship with God as a nation? How many would agree that the relationship with God as a nation is not in good standing? But how is your personal relationship with God? Is it in good standing? Revival is when a man's relationship with God gets fixed. When a nation's relationship with God gets fixed. Now, there are two parts to it. Number one, men have to turn to God. Number one, men have to turn to God. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, we call ourselves Christians, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. So man has to turn to God more than he's been turned to God in order for a relationship with God to get better than it presently is. Now, not trying to... Uh, start off on a negative note or start off with somebody thinking I'm judgmental, but I will say this. If we really want a revival, and maybe you don't, if you really want a revival, you have to read your Bible. You cannot have a relationship with God if you won't even pick up a Bible. You cannot have a relationship with God if you won't spend any time at all in prayer. Now, some days you might have more times than others, but you cannot have revival without seeking God. You've got to do it. So if you don't read your Bible, then you do not really want a relationship with God to come to full life. You need that to come to full life, and you've got to start by seeking God. Now, not being mean or not trying to start off with you feeling like I'm putting my thumb on you and twisting it and keeping you under control, but there's a revival meeting coming this week. And if you already plan that, well, I'm going to come one night when you could come all nights, but you're just trying to budget it just right so you don't look that bad, if you will not come when you can come, you do not want a revival. Because part of revival is man has to seek God. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face. So again, let's just get this right off the start. We may need a revival, 
but we will not have a revival unless man seeks a revival. So if you're not reading your Bible, you need to. If you're not praying, you need to. If you're not really planning to be at the meeting when you can be, I'm not saying this so that we'll have a bigger crowd. I'm saying this because this is a requirement for revival. Now, how many of you were planning to come to one night? Don't raise your hand. I'm glad that you were planning to come to at least one night, but I'm telling you, we have got to have more than a bargain chip with God so he's not too mad at us to have a real revival. So number one, there needs to be man turning to God. Now either it's because they know that they, God has, can, has the ability to meet needs that only God can meet, so they seek God. It may mean they realize they're under the judgment of God and want more than they presently have His blessing. They seek God. Other times they are in awe of God because He's so wonderful and they want to worship God, so they go to the house of God or they go to prayer to God. But the key is man seeks God's face and all of His presence and all the blessings that come because of His presence. Now the second part, though, of a revival is that Man turns to God, but number two, get this, God has to turn to man. Now let's look at 2 Chronicles 7, 14 again. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now there are times when we can actually seek God, but not get close to God. Why? Because we turn to God and God sees something in us that he doesn't like, so he will not turn back to us. Now the Bible talks about God hiding his face. Why does God hide his face? It's not that he's playing a game of hide and seek. It is saying, though I see them, I will not bless them. I will not respond to them and will not supernaturally, divinely intervene on their behalf. Now, why does God hide his face and say, you can pray all you want, you can attend a revival meeting, and you can put your time into this thing, but I'm not going to show up, and I'm not going to do supernatural things. There are reasons that God hides his face. Right, now, number one is because of sin. Isaiah 64 and verse 7. Thou hast hid thy face from us and consumed us because of our iniquity. So he hides his face because we have sin and we're not willing to turn from it. Now I'm not trying, again, to cause trouble. But there are many people that will go to church and put on that semblance, but yet there's sin in their life and they know it and they think it's not that bad. At least I'm not doing this. Well, the problem is, iniquity, no matter what it is, is enough to break your fellowship with God. And if there is anything in your life, from something on your cell phone, to something that comes out of your mouth, to something that you look at on a TV set or a movie, and you have this in your life, that is enough for you to miss a relationship with God. So we've got to understand there are reasons God will hide His face. Now, here's another one. How many of you like football? I like football. How many of you like basketball? I like basketball. How many of you enjoy those kind of things? Like golf? I like golf. 
but there are some people that golf and basketball have become more exciting to them than God. Now, there's a time in the scripture where it says, I will hide my face, for they are turned to other gods. Now, when I think of a god, I think of something that I admire and I adore. Now, when I was a boy, my mom said, you can play Little League, but you're not going to miss church over it. And I thought, well, Mom, I just want to play baseball. And my mom said, you can play baseball, but you're not missing church over it. And then we found out that Little League was going to take me out of church on Sundays. And my mom said, I'm sorry, you cannot play Little League. I said, Mom, all I want to do is play baseball. And my mother said, Mike, it is a game, not a God. Now, some people are saying, our country is going down, and it is. They're saying the morals are decaying, and they are. People just aren't seeking God anymore. But then they'll also in their life say, well, my son's got a basketball game. So what that there's, uh, there's, there's Wednesday night permitting, but he's on a team, and they're counting on him. And if he doesn't show up for that game, they'll probably lose. And he made a commitment to help that team. And you know what I think? What about your commitment to God? Now, honestly, there's nothing wrong with sports, but I'm telling you, we have gotten to where we're not having revival because we are turned to other gods. And we are so excited about things and sports and all those things have their place, but we have got to get back to where we are not looking to these things as our gods, our admiration, the things that take care of us. I've got a job, the thing that'll take care of us. I've got a retirement. And what we need to remember, it is Jehovah Jireh, not Jehovah IRA. And as Christian people, I'm just saying, we are not in a revival state right now. And we're not in a revival state right now because we have sin that we aren't willing to turn from and we also are turned to other gods. We are more excited about sports than we are about God. Again, I love sports. Again, I like entertainment. Again, I like movies, if they're good ones. Again, I'm not even the standard. But yet, if you are somebody that has other things as the admiration of your heart. You can fix that. God says, set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. And we've got something to do with it. And if we value revival, we're going to have to meet the conditions. And God says, I will hide my face from them, for they are turned to other gods. Your iniquities are separated between you and your gods. And your God. Now, in this passage, it says in verse 11, I have heard thy prayer. Now, as it says, I have heard thy prayer, what prayer is it referring to? As Solomon dedicated the temple to God, he prayed a prayer of dedication. And that prayer is recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 12. It said he stood on the altar, he raised his hands, and he began to pray, O oh Lord God of Israel, there's no God like you in heaven. 
And he prays from verse 14 all the way down to the end, verse 42. And he goes to bed a little bit later. And God appeared to him in a dream and said, Solomon, I've heard thy prayer, which means everything that you prayed, I will do. Now, let's look at some of this. One, the possibility of revival. It is when man turns to God and God turns to man, as I've just mentioned. I want you to notice the prayer. Look at verse 19. Have respect, therefore, to the prayer of thy servant and his supplication. So the servant has prayer and supplication. Man turning to God. Have respect, therefore, to the prayer. That's God turning to man. Verse 21. Hearken, therefore, unto the supplication of thy servant. The Christian or the child, man of God supplicates or prays. He turns to God. Man turning to God. But then he says in verse 21, the first word, Hearken, therefore, to unto the supplication. God turning to man. Verse 24. If thy people Israel be put to the worst before the enemy because they have sinned and shall return, man turning to God, confess thy name, pray, make supplication before thee in this house. So man gets into sin and he returns to God. He gets into pornography and he returns to God. He gets mesmerized with sports and he returns to be excited about God. He turns from whatever he needs to turn from, and he returns with all this heart to God. Now, as that man turns to God, that's man turning to God, notice verse 26. God then will turn back to man. Then hear thou from the heaven, and confess thy name. Uh, turn thou from the heaven, and forgive the sin of thy people Israel, and bring them again into the land which thou gavest them and to their fathers. Now you find this in verse 26, we won't have time to hit it, 29, 32, 34, 37, 38. Now look at verse 40. Now my God, let I beseech thee thine eyes be open and thine ears to attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. So man prays in this place. And if they pray to you, will you hear them again? And you know what God said? I have heard thy prayer. Now with that, that tells us that anything that he put in that prayer, God says he'll do. And so what it says in that prayer is that we will turn to God, then God will turn back to us. Now that is the presentation of revival. Now very quickly, the possibility of a revival. Now, I have had some people tell me that it's impossible for us to have revival in our day. There was a man that I had a respect, and I went out to eat with him, and I said, do you think it's possible that we could ever have revival in America? I was 26 years old, and he told me right away, no, it's impossible. Now, I began to think, well, if it's impossible, why am I going into evangelism? And then he, I said, well, why is it impossible? He said, whenever a nation goes into apostasy, it can never come out. Now, here's my question. Did Israel ever go into apostasy and then come out again? 
So it's over and over in the Bible, they worship idols, they killed their children. We in America have worshiped the gods of sports and money and entertainment. We in America have killed our children in abortion. But if they came out, we can come out. Now, the Bible teaches who can have a revival. I want you to notice, first of all, that it is for one or it is for all. Look at verse 29. Then what prayer of chapter 6, or what supplication soever shall be made of any man or of all thy people Israel? As we're in a revival meeting, I just want to say this. We don't have to wait on anybody else to have a revival in our lives. We don't have to wait on another person. We don't have to wait on our family. We don't have to wait on other churches. If we want a revival, we can have one. God said it is for one or it's for as many people. So somebody says you can't have a revival. You're hoping for something that's not even possible. A teenager can have a revival. An adult who's been alive for 80 years can have a revival. It's for anyone or all the people who will seek one. Now, secondly, notice that it is for Jew or for Gentile. Now, some people will say, as you claim these Old Testament passages, they were not written to the church. You're claiming promises that was meant for the, Gentile, for the Jews. Now, notice verse 32. Moreover, concerning the stranger, which is not of thy people Israel, but is come from a far country for thy great name's sake, and America is pretty far away from Israel. And if they come for thy mighty hand and thy stretched out arm, if they come and pray in this house, then hear from the heaven, even thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for. Get this, that all the people of the earth may know thy name. Now, here's a promise that America can have a revival. Now, if we don't believe that it's possible to have one, then we will never take serious that we need to get the pornography out. We never will take serious that we even need to get out the sensual little things that you look at on a cell phone, even if it's not pure porn. Until we understand that it's fully possible to have a revival, then we're never going to really think it does matter if we come only one night when we could come more. It's never going to change until we can believe that there's something bigger and something more and something we desperately need. It's not going to change until we understand it is possible to have. Now, it is for one, it's for all, it's for Jew, it's for Gentiles. And then I also want us to understand that it is for all generations. Now, some people think that this promise was given 3,000 years ago, but it doesn't apply to us today. If we humble ourselves and pray, then God will hear, will forgive, and will heal. I want you to notice verse 34. Notice the pronouns that he uses. He says, If thy people go out to war against their enemies, by the way that thou shalt send them, and they pray unto thee toward this city which thou hast chosen, and the house which I have built for thy name, then hear thou from the heaven their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause. Now, as I pray to God for my wife, because she's sick, I pray for her. I pray, God, if my wife, will you help my wife get better? Will you give an answer for my wife's sickness? 
as I pray for my children. I pray, Lord, help my children. I don't say help their children when I'm talking about my children. Now, I might pray for their children, but I use the pronoun my when I'm talking about my wife, my kids. Now, if I was the king and I was praying to God on behalf of my people, I would say in verse 34, if my people go to war against our enemies by the way that thou shalt send us, and we pray unto thee, verse 35, then hear thou from heaven our prayer and our supplication and maintain our cause. Now, why is he saying them, their, they? When he's the king, he should be talking about his people, my, us, our. Here's why he's doing those pronouns. He's praying for future generations. Now, over and over he says, listen, if thy people um, fall away and if they return, if in the future they then fall away and then after that they get right again. And then after that, let's say they go after strange gods or they go after idols and they return and they come back to you. What he's doing, he's talking about generations up and down, up and down, up and down. And here's what he says. No matter who they are, one or all, where are you right now in your condition with God? Seriously, where are you right now? America is not in the condition for reviving right now, for a revival, for the blessing of God. But what about you? Where are you right now? All right, are you in the position to receive the favor of God? You can be. It's for one, it's for all, it's for Jew, it's for Gentile, but it's for all generations, and America has had its ups and its downs and its ups and its downs spiritually, and somehow we have the idea that we can never get up again. There's so much immorality, so much lesbianism, so much abortion. Even after we've stopped abortion, they're still finding ways to do abortion. There's so much corruption, and no politician is ever going to be held accountable. It's just over. It is not. And if we believe it's just over, then we will not take care of our personal sins. Then we will not think it important to be committed to seek God when we can. We won't read our Bibles. We won't go to church. We won't pray. Nothing will change. Why? Because it's impossible. No, it's because we somehow believed it's impossible, so we quit trying. But it does matter. It does say righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, whether it's just you, your family, or the entire nation. Now, the presentation of revival, and I'm going to take a few more minutes. Number one, it's when our relationship with God gets fixed. Where's your relationship? Number two, the possibility of revival. We can have more than what we've got. Now, number three, the profit of a revival. Now, let's look at that verse, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and see why we want a better relationship with God than we presently have. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from the wicked way, if we'll actually do this, we'll start reading our Bible. We actually will go to the revival meetings when we can, not just this week, 
We actually will, anytime we can seek God, we'll start doing this thing again. Wednesday night, we'll start doing that. Because there's something we can get. Now, people can say this. You should never want a revival on the basis of what you can get. It should just be the glory of God. Now, first of all, people that are saying it should be just the glory of God aren't glorifying God much by not going to church when you could. It should just be the glory of God. People that are not reading their Bible are not glorifying God much is very important. I'm not trying to scold us, but I'm trying to tell the truth in love, but it sometimes sounds like a scold. But if you're not reading your Bible, don't say you want a revival. Start reading it. If you're not going to church on Sunday nights and Wednesday night, then you're part of the problem. I'm not hating you. I'm glad you're going on Wednesday nights. But God looks on the heart and God sees you could, but you won't because it's not that important to you. Then how could you ever expect that God would supernaturally, divinely intervene and send a reviving? Because part of the qualifiers is we have to seek God's face. Now, we have to. So you never have a relationship with God unless you seek God's face more than you presently have been seeking him. So you've got to get some, something's got to change. And a clear thing would be Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. And those things are important, at least from God's perspective. Now, people say we should never seek God for what we can get. But the Bible does say, yes, the glory of God, but it's also the good of man. God says he is a rewarder to them that diligently seek him. And there's a reward for us when we seek God and get to know God and get right with God. Now, here's some basic things. Number one, real quick, God says, then will I hear from heaven. Now, that will be answers to prayer. Now, how many have ever seen an answer to prayer before? Isn't it a wonderful thing? How many would like to see more answers to prayer? Now, I've seen God do wonderful things. I've shared with you some of the things that God has done. I remember one time I was preaching to about 200 teenagers, and as I was preaching, it began to rain so much you could not even hear me because it was a tin roof. And I can remember in that meeting, 12 young men wanted to get saved, but they couldn't hear me because of the rain. So at that invitation, I was trying to say, now, if you'll just come forward, we'll be able to take you over to the gym, and we'll show you how to be born again. But they couldn't hear me. So I raised my hand in the air in front of 200 teenagers and I said, God, they can't hear me because of the rain. God, stop the rain. Then I thought, what have you done? You just put God on the spot in front of 200 teenagers and now if it doesn't stop raining, they're going to wonder if there's a God and nobody's going to want to get saved. But then I thought for a minute, could God stop the rain? Yes, he could. Is this a want or is this a need? It's a need. So I raised my hand the second time, and I said, God, stop the rain. And within five seconds, it came to a complete stop, not even a drizzle. You can ask anybody who was there. My wife was there. Two hundred teenagers was there. My kids were there, and it came to a complete stop. Now, there were young people that got saved. Now, two years later, I went back to that camp, and a young man came to me, and he said, Do you remember when you prayed and God stopped the rain? I said, How could I forget? He said, you were, he said, I was one of those 12 boys that got saved. When I saw God stop the rain, I knew there had to be something to God. I had a time 
when I had a ministry need, and I can remember praying, God, I need $50,148. And it's not a want, it's a need. So I remember praying how God provided so many things for George Mueller. I got on my knees, I prayed like George Mueller. I said, God, I need $50,148. You did it for George Mueller, you can do it for me. And as I began to pray and I tried to pray like George Mueller, the devil reminded me of something, you're not George Mueller. So I quit praying. I thought, who do you think you are? You're just Mike Pelletier. So I walked around, very discouraged. I'm going, what am I going to do? I'm going to go into financial disaster. What am I going to do? And as I was in distress, it's like the Lord reminded me of something. Mike, it never was George Mueller. It was George Mueller's God. So I got back on my knees, and I prayed for about one hour. God, I need $50,148 at the end of the month. And you can do it today as much as you can do it tomorrow. And I didn't tell one person about it, but that night there was a check in my hand for $50,000. Now I'm telling you, I've seen God answer prayers. But I believe what we're seeing is just mercy drops, and there's so much more that we could experience. Now God says he will hear our prayers again. Then God says... He will forgive our sins. And then God says, He will heal our land. Now, here's the way it works when we are in sin. If there is somebody here today and you're not doing things you should be doing, all right, do you know that not doing things you should be doing is a sin as much as doing things you should not be doing? Am I perfect? No. But you and I both need to evaluate our lives honestly. Now, listen to me. Forsake not the gathering yourselves together as the manner of some is. If you know me from any bit of the past, you know that I'm not a judgmental person. At least I hope I'm not. If you know me from anything in the past, you know that I love people. I don't pretend to love people. And I do not think of myself as better than anybody. But I do know this. There are sins of omission that are killing revival and one of the things is you cannot get people committed to do anything beyond what they want to do you cannot get commitment to prayer meeting you say preach on something else why this is like the elephant in the room it's big Sunday morning we have people come Sunday night we have less come Wednesday night we got a few that come when a lot more could come. What are we telling God? That's a sin. As much as I love us, as much as you know me, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but that's what we're here for. That is our problem, one of them. The sins of omission. What are you not doing that God says you need to be doing? But then there are the sins of commission. God says, don't, and you do. How many people are born again, but they're actually being immoral? That made the Ten Commandments. Well, we're going to get married. That made the Ten Commandments. Well, we're practically married. You're not married. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That is why we're not seeing an awakening in our country. 
But what about pornography? It's rampant. Well, everybody has a lust problem. Well, everybody better repent who has a lust problem because we're not going to see revival till we do. And we can. Well, everybody's a little bit cusser once in a while. Everybody has a temper once in a while. Then everybody who has a temper and everybody who has a mouth needs to stop. If we value what God is and what God can do, there's got to be a repentance. Now, sometimes God says, if we will forget, if we will repent, God says to forgive our sin. Now, here's where it is. Either we get forgiveness for sin or we get judgment for sin. That happens personally. If somebody dies in their sin without salvation, they get judgment for sin in the Bible says the lake of fire. But the same is true for Christians. Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto sons. My son despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint without rebuke of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And here's what God is teaching. If we as Christians hang on to that stuff, don't do the stuff we should, then we'll be chastened. But it's also true as a nation, and I personally believe the United States is under the judgment of God. I believe that God began to exercise His judgment a lot stronger back in 9-11. When God raised up an enemy, Osama bin Laden, and He put planes in the heart of two of our gods, our money and our military. The Pentagon. And then... God also, our third God, would be our big government, so it was headed toward the White House, but that did not happen. But I believe that there was a message, wake up. And then we had this short turning back to God, sort of like we have in church where we come and say, amen, 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 let's have a revival, amen. Brother Pelletier's here, amen. And I know I love you, and I know you love me, and I know that nobody thinks that I think I'm the most awesome person in the world, and I think that you people are the most awesome in the world. I really do. But I am saying this, there are many people say, here we go again, amen, amen, amen. But we're not willing to even turn from the sins that are obvious in our lives. So then the Bible teaches that on a personal level, there'll be judgment, but also on a nation. God raised up this, there was a short turn. A response after 9-11 where people turned back and saying, God bless America, but then we went right back into pushing the homosexual agenda as a nation. I never will forget the first time same-sex marriage was um, approved in California. In one week, they had 1,700 wildfires. Now, usually they have wildfires, but this was a 400% increase from the year before. 400% increase. And I was in California when it happened, and there were fires everywhere, and a lady on the weather station said, I know this is unusual, but what happened is, for the longest time, there's been no rain. Who controls the rain? Then all of a sudden, clouds formed everywhere. Who can form the clouds? And then all of a sudden, lightning came down, and it struck everywhere. Who sends the lightning? God. And you know what it sounded like to me? old-fashioned fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah for homosexuality. And then we go on, and then I can remember when in New Orleans, they were going to have their Mardi Gras. And this particular year, they said, leave your Christian friends at home. 
we're going to celebrate sexuality. And the way they were going to do it was they were going to have on all of the floats, each float would have a live sex act. Live. And all kinds of debauchery. And they could not have that. Why? God took his finger and he stirred the water outside of New Orleans and he blew Hurricane Katrina into the heart of New Orleans and wiped the city out. You say that wasn't God? I say it was. Now, you know what we can say? Amen. That's good preaching, brother. But you know what we also need to be saying? Oh, my. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that there were any Christian people in New Orleans? You think there were any Baptists in New Orleans? You think there were any patriotic men and women in New Orleans? There are some. And here's the problem. When a nation gets lax on sin, and when Christians get lax, and Christians don't seek God, and all of this comes where God says, enough! And he sends that judgment, the rain falls on the good and the bad. And you know what? Years ago, I can remember seeing a banner in a revival meeting on the back wall, and the banner said, Revival for survival. You know what I used to think? Wow, that's a good banner. I need to use that sometime in my revival meetings. But you know what I think now? It's not just a banner, it's a reality. If we do not see people that are 40 or younger starting to go to church again, turning from sin again. If we don't see those that are 40 above turning from their wicked way, if we don't start seeking God, if we do not have a revival in this country, I fear that we will not see our survival as a country. What else are we going to blame it on? If you think about it, politicians aren't helping us. They're hurting us. And the only thing that's going to change it is God. Righteousness exalts a nation. But we need to remember it starts with us. It really does. So are you going to be at this meeting? If you can be. If you can't be, God knows. Are you going to be at prayer meetings? Be at Sunday nights? God knows. If you can. Are you going to be part of the solution? Or are you just going to go on like normal? The only hope is Revival. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. We either get forgiveness from God or we get judgment from God. Let's bow our heads.